This Advent season at New Life, uh, we are walking through John's prologue, right? So that's the, the first chapter in John's gospel, the first 18 verses of that first chapter is known as John's prologue. And so that's what we're uh, working through this Advent season, slowly building ultimately to the crescendo of the passage, which is going to happen next Sunday as we summit the, the mountaintop of John's prologue on Christmas Eve. And so a couple of reminders as it relates to Christmas Eve. Um, obviously, next Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, which means that we're not going to be having 9.15 or an 11 o'clock service. Instead, we're going to be having our candlelight services at 3 and 5 p.m. So church family, help me. Are we having services in the morning next week? No. When are we having them? 3 and 5 p.m. All right, now here's what you're going to do. When you leave, you're going to grab some of these really awesome invite cards, okay? And what I want you to do is find four or five people this week. I don't care if it's a colleague, coworker, your barista at your favorite coffee shop, uh, somebody that works out at your gym, whoever it is. And I want you to invite them to come either to the 3 or the 5 p.m. candlelight service uh, next week. It's going to be a phenomenal time. It's one of the most epic services that we do. As always, we'll have kind of a, a hot chocolate bar out there. We'll have a place where you can get your, your family Christmas photos and all that kind of thing. So it's going to be just a, a really wonderful time. And I want to encourage you to invite someone. The second thing I'd like to just encourage you uh, to do is to plan to arrive 10 to 15 minutes early, okay? Uh, that'll help us with just kind of seating and management, all those sorts of things. Uh, for the three or four of you that already do that, thank you. For the other 800 of you sinners, um, Please, please leave your house just a little bit earlier uh, ne- next Sunday. It'll be super helpful uh, to us, all right? Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever received something that was even better than you thought it was gonna be? All right, so maybe just kind of think, lock that into your mind. Have you ever received something that was even, like it exceeded your expectations by a thousand percent? Now, I know uh, for my wife, Cheryl, if she were here, she would say the day she married me would probably be the time that comes to her mind. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not really. In fact, if she were here, she'd probably say uh, that was the day I realized I was marrying a middle school boy on the inside, as all men are until the day we die. Congrats, ladies. Congrats. Uh, maybe for you, it was a birthday present that exceeded your expectations or a, a Christmas present or uh, I don't know, maybe you got a tax return when you thought you were gonna owe Uncle Sam and you get that $1,000 check. You're like, yeah, baby, just hit the jackpot. I've had that happen once or twice or maybe parents in the room, your kid grew up, did not become a serial killer even though you're their parent. You're just like, man, far exceeded my expectations. Uh, for me, the thing that, that the Lord kind of brought to my mind, I was thinking about receiving something that just man, blew my mind, exceeded my expectations. Uh, last night, my wife and I celebrated our wedding anniversary and so we went out to eat to one of our favorite spots and I got what I believe is the best plate on this side of eternity. It was a perfectly cooked, pan-seared filet mignon covered in some sort of French red wine uh, sauce that was just absolutely delectable and as I sat there in that moment and I I cut that first bite and I put it into my have you ever put something in your mouth that's so good you just have to close your eyes for a minute and just pause and reflect worship the creator for a moment now I've never done psychedelics like some of you sinners who need the Lord but I imagine I imagine that maybe something like that, right? It's so, uh, something that's so good that you start to uh, smell colors and see sounds and 
things like that. And after a while, my wife was like, hey, babe, babe, uh, did you pass out? Like, don't mess with my trip, babe. Don't, don't mess with my food trip. I'll be back in just a minute. And I don't know what that experience like or what that is that you received that far exceeded your expectations. Uh, but the Apostle John is going to tell us today about the very best thing any human being can receive in this life. Better than the best filet mignon in the world, better than an unexpected tax return or your kid not going to prison, better than all of that. Now, we started this out, this Advent season out a couple of weeks ago, talking about the need that we all have for light. Because isn't it true that we live in a world just shrouded in darkness? Not just physical darkness, but also uh, internal darkness, like, like the darkness of our hearts or the darkness of our souls. Like we need a light from the outside to pierce the darkness of our world and the darkness of our hearts. And John has been saying to us over the course of three weeks now, Jesus is that light, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. That's been his message, his refrain on repeat. Now, last week, we looked at a witness to the light, John the Baptist, who taught us what it means to be a witness, to be a reflector of the one true light, who came into the world to pierce the darkness, Jesus Christ. And what it means, what it looks like for us to be a witness in the joys of life, in the, in the adversities of life, in the waiting room of life. He taught us all of those things. And today, John's going to narrow in his focus on receiving the light. That's going to be the whole point of the message. How do we receive the light? Because how many of you know, light does no good if you don't allow it in? Have you ever noticed... If you don't open your blinds or open your curtains, even when the sun is shining brightly, you still remain in the dark. So it's critical, it's crucial that we know how to receive the light so that we don't have to stumble through the darkness in our entire lives or for our entire lives. Before we dive into God's word this morning, I want to pause and let's go to him. Let's ask for his help as we go into his word. Father, we we come to you and there is no question that we live, Father, in a world of chaos and pain and confusion and darkness is just a great descriptor. And we not only wrestle with the darkness that's outside of us, Father, but we wrestle with, if we're being honest, the darkness that lurks within and our flesh and our selfishness and our self-centeredness, Father. We thank you that because you love us, you didn't abandon us to the darkness. You sent the light of the world, the Lagos, the word of God, your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our light, to give us life. And so Father, would you, would you teach us how to receive the light? Because the light does no good if we don't allow it in. So by your grace, by the power of your spirit that I believe is very much present here in this room, would you allow us to see these truths clearly and apply them deeply to our souls so that we might see the light and receive the light and become your children? It's in Jesus' name that we ask and we pray. Amen. Let's see if you have a, church, if you have a, a Bible on your app, perhaps, or uh, in print. Go ahead and open it up, turn it on, head to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to drill down verses 12 and 13, which Gabe just read for us just a moment ago. But here, here's what I want to do. I want us to read together the entirety of the first 13 verses together, really to give us a full flavor 
of, of where John has been uh, and where, where, where he's headed. And uh, man, I think there's something uh, spiritual, I don't know if mystical is the right word, but I think there is something important that that's, that's really has a spiritual component when uh, the people of God uh, recite the word of God together. And so I'm gonna invite you to, to read these 13 verses with me um, out loud, and then we'll dig in, okay? Let's start together, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I just want to remind you, in case you missed last week, John told the tragic story last week of the light piercing the darkness, Jesus coming to earth, and yet many did not recognize the light or receive the light. Now, that was true in John's day, and it's every bit as true in our day as well. We are prone to miss the obvious. We are prone to miss that which is right in front of our face. In fact, in John's day, the very people who should have known it best and, and identified the light most clearly, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Jews of the day, they largely missed the light entirely. And I think it's a cautionary tale for all of us. Now, at this point in the narrative, it, it really seems pretty, pretty depressing, like pretty discouraging, right? Think about what we've seen so far. It's like God creates the world, his own creation, spits in his face, rebels against him. The world spins into sin, chaos, and death. Because he's a good and loving God, he sends the light of the world to penetrate, to pierce the darkness. And yet when he came to save those who he created, we didn't even recognize him or receive him. What a tragedy. This seems really discouraging. And as a kind of working through this, it's kind of like, John, it's almost Christmas time. Why does it got to be so, so, so depressing, man? And then, and then we get to verse 12, which begins with the word, but. A holy but. Not one that does CrossFit or wall squats. A better kind of but. A divine but, all right? About three of y'all got it. All right, the, the, word, the word here is but. It's also translated yet sometimes. And it's the hinge that opens the, the door to the entire prologue so that we see glorious truth that has the power to change lives and alter destinies. Now, here, here's what you need to know. If you're a student of the Bible, and I hope you are, I hope you're reading it, I hope you're meditating on the word. Whenever you come across bad news in the scriptures, and then you come to that word, but or yet, pay attention. Right? Like that's the red blinking light that should alert your mind that something really crucial and something really important is about to happen. 
right? It's like when you're watching your favorite movie and, and, and whatever that movie is for you, you get kind of the, the hinge point of the plot, right? Where all hope seems lost and then all of the sudden you hear that triumphant Rocky music start to build in the background, right? And you know already, as soon as you hear that music, you know what's about to happen. Now, you don't know the details of it. You don't know exactly how it's gonna go down, but you know what's about to happen. And then the hero walks in, blows up all the bad guys, and we all celebrate, right? It's our, it's our cue to pay attention. So remember, the light has pierced the darkness, the rescuer has arrived, and yet the very people that he created don't recognize him or receive him. So it seems like all hope is lost. Now, cue the heroic cinematic music, building to the peak of the plot. Are you paying attention, church? I think he's trying to get our attention. Verse 12, let's go. But to all who did receive him. In other words, not all rejected the light. Not all were blinded from the light. There were those who saw the light for what it actually is. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the very children of God. You see what just happened? The hero just interrupted the plot. He blew up all the bad guys and he rescued all the oppressed. Right, roll the credits as the audience erupts into cheers. Right, this is this is better than anything Marvel or DC could ever dream up. See, the sad reality is, so many, so many will reject the light, but but there will be some. There will be some who see the light, who recognize the light, who receive the light. And to those, and to those, God will grant the right. Or the power, that word right can also be translated power, the power to become the very children of God. Those who walked in darkness, you and I, slaves to sin, self, and death itself, with no hope of rescue, are now invited into the light to become the children of God. Are you kidding me? This is incredible news. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4. He says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, this is amazing. I think we could probably just invite the worship team back up and just sing our souls out, right? This glorious truth that God has rescued us and he has adopted us into his family, not because of anything that we did, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. This is incredibly good news. But I have to mention to you that there's, I believe, an incorrect and a dangerous misnomer, I think, floating around our culture and Unfortunately, I think it's even bled into many of our churches in the West today that go something like this. We're all God's children. You've probably heard that, haven't you? Every human being is God's child. It sounds good. It sounds very kumbaya, like let's hold hands around a fire and sing some love songs. But the message of the Bible is clear, and it's this. We are all created by God, but we are not all children of God. Do you understand the distinction? We are all created by God. We all bear his image, the Imago Dei. Genesis tells us that. 
but there's something that has to happen in order for us to become his child. And we must not confuse those two things because life and death and eternity hangs in the balance. So let's talk about that. Becoming a child of God. To me, as I studied this week, it's a concept that feels almost too abstract, almost too lofty. And yet I would argue that this one single solitary truth is the key that unlocks human purpose and ultimately all of our deepest desires. So let's chat about it. Firstly, and thankfully, John is clear about what becoming a child of God is not. And so he gives us three misconceptions about how people become children of God before he gives us the one true way a man or a woman or a little boy or a little girl can actually become a child of God. And so let's dig in and digest together. Look at verse 13 with me. Who were born, John says, and he's about to give us a list of three ways we do not become children of God. Number one, who are born not of blood. That's number one. So how not to become a child of God. Number one, family descent. Okay, so this is the idea that because of your ethnicity or your culture or your upbringing or your family of origin, that, that all of those things or one of those things automatically puts you into the family of God. Now, in John's day, many Jews assumed that their ethnicity or their lineage back to Abraham made them part of the family of God. Now, in, in our day, in my experience, many people, even sitting in churches just like this one today, assume that they're in because they grew up in church or because their parents were Christians or because their grandfather or uncle was a pastor and maybe the thought is kind of like, well, hey, I'm not, a, I'm not an atheist, and I'm not a Buddhist, and I'm not a Muslim, so I, man, I grew up in a Christian home, I went to church, I guess that makes me a Christian. So let me, church family, let me, let me just say this as clearly as I know how. Nobody is born into the family of God. Nobody is born into the family of God. It's been said, God has no grandchildren, only children. You don't inherit your parents' faith. You are not grandfathered into the family of God. It doesn't matter how much good your family did or how much money they gave to the local church. Or on the other side of the coin, it doesn't matter how evil your family was or how much bad they did. That's not what gets you in or keeps you out of the family of God. God wants us to know we're not in because of our family or because we grew up going to church or singing hymns or memorizing Bible verses or because we grew up in a Christian home. That's not how we become a child of God. This is important. This was a problem apparently in his day and I think in our day as well. I think many people are still deceived by number one. Second misconception. Let's go back to verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, that's kind of the, the family thing, nor, here's number two, of the will of the flesh. So how not to become a child of God, number two, I would just call it this, the human willpower. Human willpower. So this is, this is kind of the idea, and I think we tend to be very guilty of this as Westerners, particularly as Americans, kind of, man, we, we come from that culture of we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Man, we are overcomers. We are hard workers. We are conquerors. This is kind of our mentality. Nobody's gonna outwork us. This is our, our, our motto as, as Americans, right? It's this idea that you can, you can white-knuckle your way into the kingdom of God. And the thought process, and maybe you're even guilty of it without realizing it, the thought process is, man, if I just work hard enough, 
If I, if I just try harder, if I just read my Bible a little bit more often, if I just do enough good things, if I just become a good person, quote unquote, then God will have to accept me when I stand before him on that final day. White knuckle theology. It's sort of like, man, this is a silly example, but imagine if a, if a pine tree one day decided it wanted to be an apple tree. And a pine tree just closed its eyes and like, man, I'm gonna produce apples. I'm, gonna, I'm visualizing apples. I'm gonna manifest apples. I'm gonna push it. I'm gonna make myself become an apple tree. Pine cones, dang it. Still pine cones, right? You say, man, Chris, that, man, what a silly example. No more silly than a human being trying to willpower their way into the family of God. For a tree to produce apples, it has to have the nature of an apple tree. In the same way, for a human being to produce the fruit of the kingdom of light, they have to have a new nature, God's nature, as part of his family, led by his spirit, adopted into his family, having the same DNA of the Father. Do you see the futility in trying to willpower or work your way into the family of God? It's not possible, friend. This is, this is not something that you achieve. It's something that you receive. It's not something you achieve. It's something that you receive. So that's the second misconception. I'm gonna work my way to God. I'm gonna make myself acceptable to him. And friend, that is a futile way to live life. Gives us a third misconception now. Go back to verse 13. Those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Now some uh, translations will translate this, nor of the will of the husband or a husband. Now, I'll try not to make this too awkward, or actually maybe I will make it as awkward as possible, but what John is saying here is that becoming a child of God doesn't come about in the same way that when your father had a twinkle in his eye and winked at your mom, you showed up nine months later. This is, this is, not, this is not the way that the, the family of God works. Like it can't be planned out and executed like a loving mom and a loving dad kind of planning out their family order. And if you have questions about how to exegete the rest of this passage about the birds and the bees, Pastor Mike will be up here in the front. He'd be glad to explain to you exactly what John is talking about here. But I think you get the drift. In other words, and this is number three, this is, this is not simply, not simply, number three, a human decision. It's not simply a human decision. This is not something that happens because of some biological union between a man and a woman or because of the family that we were born into or by trying to willpower our way into the family of God or trying to strategize and plan out our way into the family of God. And if it's none of those things, what then is it, John? Because it kind of feels like that covers the whole, the, the whole deal. And John's saying, no, 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 that's not the way you get into the family of God. Okay, John, so what is it? Like, how do we get into his family? How do we become the children of God? Go back to verse 13. He tells us, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? But of God. What John is saying here is that becoming a child of God only happens by God directly intervening into our lives. It's a divine act of mercy. 
where the God of this universe reaches down and plucks us out of the kingdom of darkness and places us into his kingdom of light, opens our eyes to behold the beauty of the true light, his son Jesus Christ, and adopts us as sons and daughters into his eternal family forever and ever. And he says over us in that moment, you're mine. Enemy, you can't have her. Darkness, you can't take him. This is my daughter. That's my son. This is, by the way, the, the rebirth that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, this religious leader, right? Where Jesus says to Nicodemus, hey, Nicodemus, to enter my kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be reborn. This is a miracle of grace, a supernatural act that intersects broken humanity with the divine. In fact, listen to the words of Jesus. In John chapter six, Jesus says this, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless, unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And what Jesus is saying here is that in your salvation and in my salvation, God is the initiator, not you and not me. He is the one who draws. Not because of our behavior, not because of our performance, not because of anything we've done. He adopts us into his family based on the performance of the light, his son Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. In other words, it ain't about you. You didn't do it. In fact, he says it's God's what? It's God's gift. Just in case you didn't understand what he's talking about, he continues on. He says the same thing again. Not from works. It's nothing you did. Not from works. So that no one could boast... And what he's saying here is, you did nothing, friend. I did nothing to get into the kingdom of God, to be adopted into his family. This is a miracle of grace. This is unmerited rescue from a good God who loves his children and calls them home. Now, I want you to see, this is, this is another book that, that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Titus. In, in Titus chapter three, watch this. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done. Again, it ain't about anything you did, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal, we're no longer pine trees, we're apple trees now, by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, not our works, we may become heirs, children, with hope of eternal life. Now, do you see what's happening here, family? John and the other New Testament writers are eliminating all of our maybes. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm in because I did enough good works. Nope. Maybe I'm in because of the family I grew up in wrong maybe I'm in because I tried really hard to be a good person wrong 
Maybe I can willpower my way in by reading the Bible more, by giving my tithe, by joining a small group. John goes, nope, nope, nope. How then, John? We just told us you must be born of God. Well, how do I do that? We told us that as well. By believing in his name. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of the Almighty God. Wow. Now this idea, by the way, of believing, of receiving, means believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Not that he is a way or a truth or a light, but the way, the truth, and the light. And understand this. This is more than some sort of shallow intellectual belief or assent. This is the kind of belief that just seeps into your bones. It comes like a fire in your belly, man. You heard the testimonies of those who are baptized today. You saw the raw emotion. This is not some intellectual assent, right? Like, I categorically believe that there is a God in heaven who created all things. Jesus Christ is his son. No, man, this is, this is deeper than that. This is not intellectual. This seeps down, this bleeds down into your bones and your soul and your heart. It's the kind of belief that shapes the way you live, the way you parent your children, the way you love and interact with your spouse or your roommate. It shapes the way you spend your money and allocate your time. It transforms almost everything about us. See, we believe, we receive, we become children of the Most High. This is a miracle of mercy, friend. Listen to the way Paul says it in Romans 8. He says this, for all, for all, those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And if some of you are living under the cloud of fear this morning and you're a child of God, I want to just say to you and proclaim over you, that's not for you. That's not your burden to carry. You need to lay that down at the foot of the cross. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, 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 no. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. See, friend, when the Holy Spirit draws us and we say yes to Jesus, we actually get his spirit within us, which mysteriously and supernaturally forms us from what we were into the very children of God no longer simply creations of God, but now his beloved daughters and his beloved sons. I came across a story of a family, a father in particular, who uh, was adopting a daughter from Asia. The story was in one of the, the commentaries that I was studying this week, and I just want to share part of his, his story with you because I think it'll be encouraging to you. This is what he, this is what he wrote. I think, I think... Was he thinking about adopting his daughter that he'd never met or seen? I think within a nanosecond of deciding to adopt, we knew what our daughter's name would be. Perhaps it's because of why we chose to adopt. Our driving motivation was to rescue a little girl and give her a family with hope for the future. This helpless little girl who lives on the other side of the earth will receive all the benefits of being my child. I will clothe her and I will feed her. She will take on my name and receive my deepest affection. She will be the object of my love. 
my energies will be directed towards helping her be happy with secure knowledge that I will never leave her. I will pour out my heart to introduce her to the Savior. So for us, and what this adoption is a reflection of, we only had one name to choose from, grace. And isn't it always about grace? And so it is for us, friend, to become a child of God, to be adopted into his family is nothing short but a miraculous act of grace, not based on anything you've done or will do, not based on anything I've done, good or bad, or, or will do in the future, but an unmerited act of grace from a good God who loves his sons and his daughters. And this is a beautiful promise. Friend, listen, we who are adopted by God, when we become a child in the family of God, we get a new name, son, daughter. Not just a creation anymore. He calls us intimately by our names. We get a new nature. We get a new future. We get a better destiny. We get a new inheritance. We get a new security that's birthed within us that nothing in this life, including death itself, can rob from us. And so here's the deal. And I want you to listen to this. There are only two responses to light. Did you know that? There are two responses to light. Now for me, when I wake up in the morning, as soon as I get the coffee brewing, the first thing I do is I go around my whole house and I open up all of our blinds because I want as much natural light flooding into my house as I can possibly get because I love it and it wakes me up and it makes me happy. But I've noticed that when I walk upstairs and I go into my teenager's room and I open up their blinds, there's not the same reaction. There are moans, sometimes screams, some things, sometimes pillows thrown at my head like I just made them melt or something. There, listen, there are two responses to light. You either embrace it or you reject it. You either embrace the light or you reject the light. And I want you to hear me say this. There's no in-between. This is not something that we get to straddle the fence on. We either reject it wholesale or we embrace it, we accept it and become children of the light and children in God's family. And I want you to understand, and this is from a place of love, I want you to understand that no response is a response. We either embrace it or we reject it. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Church family, would you bow with me just for a moment? Let me just ask you a question as we consider all that John said to us. Is that your reality, friend? <laughs> are you, are you a child of the light? Are you in the family of God? And if your answer is yes, perhaps your response this morning is just to stand in awe. <laughs> Because you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God just plucked you out of your sin and the darkness of your own soul and heart and put you into his family and his kingdom and called you son or daughter. And your response is just going to be like, sing your lungs out in a minute. And stand in awe of his goodness, a miracle of mercy. But I'm also not naive enough to think that in a room this size with as many people as we have that watch online every single week, 
There are people here, there are people watching that that's not your reality and I know that. And so if that's you, let me just talk to you for a second. If you're walking in darkness today, separated from the light that is Jesus, I want you to know this. The light shines in the darkness. And not some theoretical darkness in your darkness piercing your pain and your shame and your guilt and your regrets and your doubts. And I want you to know this, the darkness will not overcome the light. And so let me just say, man, if you, if you are sensing right now in this moment that you wanna know him, there's some desire in your soul to be saved, to be reconciled to your creator through the light, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. I want you to know right now, that desire only comes from God. Like you can't manufacture that. So if you're sensing that, like that desire deep in your bones and your soul, I want you to know that that's coming from God. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And so if that's you, let me just say this. Friend, don't resist him. Don't, don't resist him in this moment because that can be our tendency, right? Like, man, I'm just gonna push this down. I wanna deal with this right now. This is too heavy. This is too much. Don't resist him. Receive him. Receive the light. He's inviting you in to experience light and life. Listen, friend, you can't inherit this from your family. You can't willpower or scheme your way in. The new birth is a gift received, not achieved. So if that's you, if you're in the room, if you're watching online, I wanna just invite you to pray this prayer with me right in the silence of your own heart, right where you're sitting or right where you're watching from. There's nothing magical about these words, but God sees the posture of your heart. So if you sense that desire, just pray something like this. God, I, ah, I see now that I am a sinner. I'm a, re, I'm a rebel. I've turned from your way to my own way over and over and over again. But I'm tired of living in the darkness. And I want to walk in the light. And I want to I want to embrace the light of the world, Jesus. I don't want to reject him. I don't want to miss him like all the Pharisees and scribes and religious people did 2,000 years ago. Like I want to see him for who he is. I want to experience all that he has to offer, including the abundant life that he promised his followers. Like I want that. I want to just, just wave the white flag of surrender in my life right now. I want to submit my life, my allegiance to Jesus. And I want you to send your spirit to lead me and to, to guide me from this day until the day that I see him face to face in eternity. God, I want to follow you. I want to be a part of your family. Thanks for inviting me in. Thanks for welcoming me in. Church family, I want to invite you to look up at me now. I just want to say, and you were never meant to live as a slave, but as a free man, a free woman. That's why Jesus came. That's what Advent season is all about. So let's walk in the power of the Spirit as adopted daughters, as adopted sons, freed by the light of the world, who have had our own darkness pierced by the light of the world. I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1 together. Let this be the manifesto of our faith to kind of prepare our hearts to worship. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's worship him.